Good evening to another Sunday evening stream uh, from Park End Church, sort of. Well, it's part of Park End Church, but we're not in the Park End Church building because of lockdown. On that note, before we start this service, let me advertise another one. So, as part of uh, redeeming the lockdown time, no idea if this is going to be in focus or not, but at 9 o'clock tonight, we're starting a new project, which is called Bible Hour, where every single day for two months straight, for an hour between 9 to 10 in the night, I will be reading through the Bible, because my children will be asleep then. You try pastoring a church and homeschooling in lockdown. Um, I'll be reading the Bible and asking these two questions every single day of the passage we read. What you learn about Jesus, what you learn about church. And if you want to know why we're asking those two, if you want to know what, if you want to know why we're asking those two questions, I just put a massive post about it um, on Facebook, on the Park End Facebook page, like why, why theologically do Park End Church focus on Jesus? Um, all right, so nine till ten, get in it. Maybe you've never read the Bible before. Maybe you have a million times. And I'll be reading um, the New Living Translation because uh, over a screen, it might be quite easy to switch off, but the New Living, it's not a wooden translation. It's a dynamic equivalent translation. So it reads a bit like a novel. And where it veers slightly, I'll just uh, correct it along the way as best as I can, because I don't know everything. So welcome to this evening's stream. Uh, let's sing. So our elder, our amazing elder, Richard Barrett, uh, will now lead us in singing. And the words will come up on your screen. So shout it out from the rooftops. Over to Richard.
Okay, well, thank you for that, uh, Richard. <clears throat> so please grab your Bibles, and we're just breaking from Psalms, sort of, but sort of not, because this is a bit of Psalm 22 in it. We'll get into Psalm 22 properly next week. But go and find Ezekiel. So grab your Bibles, go and find Ezekiel, or just look up on the screen, because I've just remembered it comes up on the screen as well. While you are finding Ezekiel in your Bible, I'm going to put up the drawings from the children uh, from last week's sermon. They were really great, capturing uh, who can ascend the hill of the Lord Only one has clean enough hands to enter the presence of God. So we need to be attached to him when he does. That's Jesus. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 26 to 28. If you can hear Michael Bublé in the background, that's next door. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard a voice of one speaking. So Ezekiel there, the prophet of the ancient church, has a vision of glory. What does it look like, and why are we reading that tonight? So, there's tons going on in planet Earth. There's an earthquake news shaking us all to the core. What should church obsess about this week? Should it be the anxiety? Should we focus on that? Should we focus on the news? Well, the ancient church teaches us that just like them, we should be focused on another earthquake-like event. And that event is the glory of the Lord which literally shakes when you see it and should grip us more this week than anything else. Um, so children, uh, draw, so we're trying to capture something of the glory of God tonight so we can think about it all week long and get through another week in lockdown. Draw a shining man, a shining man, with like shiny fiery stones underneath him, fire around him, then later draw him on the cross, then after that, Try and draw the world shaking. How do we do that? Is it through COVID-19? Um, or is it through this cross event which will shake and has shaken the world? So that's your task. Now, um, if you want to read a good book about the glory of the Lord, Michael Reeves has written a good one actually, and I've taken some of the phraseology he used in this book uh, from that. So thanks to him. That's a good book. Forgotten what it's called. Um, here's my opening question. 
thinking about what glory we can focus on this week, what earth-shaking glory. Um, have you ever said, oh, God is glorious, or Jesus is glorious, the Holy Spirit, pure glory? What do you mean by that, is my question. And what do you mean in, in a way that is going to actually change you this coming week? Uh, so it's not just words. We, we, the church has had it, her sins forgiven. What next? Well, actually, next is to really experience the glory of God in a meaningful way. Um, I think some of us have a question inside that we don't like to ask because we're a bit worried about it. And I'm just conscious I haven't pressed record, so stay there. I have pressed record. So there's this inner question that I think some Christians have, as well as non-Christians, is this. Um, is God glorious, or is he like some selfish ogre that watches me, like on CCTV, waiting for me to mess up or, and sin? And when I do, he sort of like salivates with joy, I've got you, get back to church to come and please me again. And basically, worship isn't a sense of his glory and enjoying it it's keeping him off our backs or inflating his ego i think some of us feel like that i better go to church just in case he gets angry with me and i feel guilty but there's nothing glorious in that and ephesians chapter one you don't need to look it up says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ then it jumps to verse 12 well i jumped to verse 12 that we who first trusted in Jesus should be to the praise of his glory. Why are we Christians? Well, that says to praise his glory and experience it. That's why we've been saved. But for some of us, uh, the faith which was once liberating and full of joy, it can now feel like homework that we have to keep up uh, to inflate the ego of our God. Otherwise, he gets angry. Bart Simpson that famous theologian once said religious people suck up to God and actually he's bang on for a lot of people who haven't quite got this bit of doctrine sorted the glory of God but hasn't grasped that church has been saved to enjoy and worship and be in awe of the glory of God now I'm married although I just realized I haven't put my ring on for this stream i am still married i think um if my wife has got no glory to me i end up just doing stuff to keep her off my back and that's not much of a relationship like watch call the midwife i just do it uh, with her because otherwise maybe she'll get angry that she watched it on her own she's not like that but or i'll do the washing up not because um, I enjoy doing things for my wife, but just to keep her off my back. Otherwise, she's going to be having a go at me all week. Um, and with God, you read in the Bible, actually, he will say to some people on the last day, oh, you cast out demons for me, you help people for me, but you never knew me. So you can actually get super busy in like this warped version of a relationship but it's not because you know God or you're enjoying his glory. You're just doing stuff to keep him off your back. That's not healthy in a marriage and it's not healthy for the Christian 
marriage. You can run Sunday schools and not know him. You can uh, give out coffee and not know God. And you're just doing it for the wrong reasons. That's not why we've been saved. Um, and this week, like with the world shaking, we need a vision of someone or something bigger than just worry with the virus and the only time we can go to God is when we think we've pleased him enough otherwise he's really miffed with us so what does it mean then uh, to be saved to praise his glory right here we go in the old testament um, the word glory and honor is kavad and it's linked to it's the same root word as heaviness and weight Okay, so what is glory? Well, it's linked to heaviness and weight. And homework, read 1 Samuel chapter 4. There's a fat guy in there called Eli, and he falls off his seat and breaks his neck because his glory, because he was old and heavy, and the weighty part of him, the thing that made him up, the weight, was his stomach. It's the same root word. Um, it was what defined him. Um, and that can extend to like brains. When I was growing up watching Countdown, um, Carol, Vo well, I didn't grow up watching it. I had somewhat of a life outside of Countdown. But when it was on, you would say Carol Vorderman's glory is her brains. Uh, all the girls back in my day fancied Brad Pitt, young watchers. You don't know Brad Pitt, but his glory used to be his looks. Maybe it still is. Um, maybe now it's Justin Bieber, his weighty... A uh, defining feature for many uh, people is his looks. There are many believers out in planet Earth. It also is linked to their most substantial part, the thing that they most treasure. So when I was growing up, um, 50 Cent, the rapper, loads of my Park End members in their 70s, 80s and 90s love 50 Cent. You'll have to take my word for it. But he's a, a rapper from America and he released an album called get rich or die trying and basically he's saying loud and clear the thing i treasure the most is money uh, that's my substance my weight my treasure hence in psalm 49 and i'll put this up 16 and 17 it says this there are warnings against living for false glories which don't last do not be afraid when one becomes rich when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. And the point of that psalm is, be like Jesus who lived for a glory which lasts forever, the other side of death. And if you read in Timothy, there's warnings like to people who obsess about pearls and necklaces and stuff instead of godliness, which is a lasting glory. So, the Bible's very clear um, this coming week. We can all live for earth-shaking, glorious events, huge things. Uh, but if, it's, if you're not careful, it'll be a glory which fades. And that can even be reveling in anxiety and worry and the COVID-19 virus. Like, the purpose of all purposes. This is now my life. Um, Bible's like, nope. That's not earth-shaking glory. That's not going to last forever. Um, all glories outside of the one we're going to look at end, evaporate. Reputation, popularity, looks, brains, all that stuff. If that's all we've got, 
it's going to end. Money. Living for lesser glories blinds people. It's sinful because it blinds you from this glory that we're made to experience. So, and it keeps us in darkness. But from what? All right. God's weight and substance and glory in the Bible is eternal. This is where Bart Simpson's theology falls apart. Cause God or because God is eternal, when we come to worship him, we're not pumping up his ego to keep us off our back. His glory is already maxed out and full. You can't expand or inflate God because he's from everlasting to everlasting. So I think Bart Simpson might be bad at Hebrew. We're not sucking up to the living God this week. We can't add to his substance, weight and glory because he's already super overflowing. He fills all things. So we're all at home as a church and maybe you're tuning in and you're not a Christian and you're interested in these things. Our purpose, even in lockdown, is to trust him enough in it all, but to have such an overwhelming vision of him in an earth-shaking way, we just ascribe greatness to him now, even in present situations. We turn from darkness, sin and death, self-obsession, pointless glories to the living God, who is everlasting to everlasting. He's already full. And that's our high calling this week. Like Moses in Deuteronomy 32, he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. So that's what ascribing greatness generally means, ascribing greatness about his glory. But what is the glory of God so we can get properly focused this week on something, something to latch on to during lockdown um, or when we're tempted to sin in whatever form. What specifically can overwhelm us to the point where we don't want that stuff? We choose life, you know, short tempered behavior this week. It's such a temptation being on lockdown close to people. What can shake us out of actually living for a pure existence without that stuff? So, what is it? Well, Ezekiel hits the nail on the head and the children are drawing it. Um, but before we just look at Ezekiel's glimpse of the earth-shaking glory of the Lord, someone else in the Old Testament has a, a glimpse of this glory too, and it is, it's earthquake stuff. Um, the ancient church teaches us to be more obsessed with this than anything else. And I was reading Habakkuk um, this week. In Habakkuk chapter three, Habakkuk's reflecting on when the angel of the Lord delivered the ancient church out of Egypt, the Exodus, all the way to Sinai. And the angel of the Lord like shook and toppled the superpowers of the day, Pharaoh. And he led then the church, this angel of God, the son of God, he led the ancient church through the wilderness to the Mount Sinai to meet the father. They actually turned back and went back in their tents. They didn't want to know him. Anyway, but it was an earth-shaking experience for the superpowers. Then, in Judges chapter 5, 
Barak and Deborah are leading the church and they sing of an earthquake, a special shaking when the Lord moved back in Sinai. Here's Judges chapter 5, 4 and 5. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So the Lord moves and things shake and church sings because shaking isn't a bad thing because shaking can move us to the ultimate mover and shaker, this glorious one. Now with that in mind, before we get to Ezekiel, Amos chapter 1 verse 1. This is great. Amos, he was a shepherd of the ancient church and, and an actual shepherd with like sheep and stuff. And he lived between the north and south border of the old kingdom of Israel. And at the time the church has gone backwards, it's into all sorts of false glories and idols. And Amos starts his book in the Bible with this. Um, here's Amos chapter 1. Listen to this. Or, or, yeah, no, just look, because I'll put it up. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withered. Right. Amos's book starts with this passage is two years before a giant earth-shaking quake, right? Okay, now some of the clever children are thinking, hang on, I've heard that name King Uzziah before. Correct. Um, and here's, it's all about having a vision of proper glory. So the kids have heard of Uzziah and some of the adults as well. Isaiah, who was another Old Testament prophet, he would have lived through that earthquake because he's alive during the king of the, the reign of the king of Uzziah. But he doesn't bother mentioning that earth-shattering quake that really must have scared people. He records another earth-shattering event. So he's lived through that earth-shaking, pandemic-type, natural disaster of an earthquake. But in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am, an, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So in Isaiah's day, the earth has been shaken. COVID-19 type shaking. But the presence of Jesus is the only thing he bothers noting. That shaking. 
of the Son of God. Because earthquakes don't budge Jesus. They don't even touch him because he is a rock. He is the rock. And we are to focus and look on him this week above everything else, just like the ancient church teaches us to do. And now come back to Ezekiel chapter one, because he really focuses us in on two aspects of this glory where he speaks of God's glory as a person and a light. And above the firmament, over the heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the colour of amber with the appearance of fire all around and within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Children, get lots of fire in. So, on the throne is a figure as of a man which is bright like fire so here's a quiz because god's glory through the bible is constantly conveyed like this like it's light he wants the church to get it so shout this out and it's all over the place ezekiel 10 and chapter 40 isaiah 6 here's psalm 19 this is about the redeemer lord you know who the redeemer is in the bible don't you he's described as like a sun rising like a bridegroom each morning, chasing away the darkness. So the psalmist looks out, he sees the sun rising and he's like, that is like my Redeemer Lord, chasing away the darkness. He's married to the church and he's chasing dark things away all the time because he's light. In Luke chapter 2, um, you know this at Christmas. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Here's Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. So church is to worship Jesus and praise him, um, the God of glory, for being light. God is light. God chases dark things away. Dark things are frightened by the light of God. And you say, that's not very practical, Owen. Well, no, but it is. What a lovely God we had. Because almost every day I encounter dark things and levels of darkness, and we need a light hero. We praise the God of light who chases dark and nasty things away, evil things sinful things. Our God has tackled evil creatures and shines as light. Evil fears, evil worries, evil sins. They can't even go near the light of God. And when I turn on the news every day, there are 10,000 stories of darkness and therefore 10,000 reasons to cling and run to God and trust him because he's light. Where I used to live, there was a ton of witchcraft. Called out quite a lot to meet people who've been dabbling with occultish stuff. And I used to come home 
and really be thankful that God is a God of light and the Christian church is a church of light. So church and worship should not be a place of burden and homework like we're married to an angry husband and we just got to keep him off his back. Church should be a place of light where we experience the light of God. Birds sing in the sun, the Puritan Richard Baxter said, and sinners sing when they've seen something of the light of God. And that glorious light made its way to that church in Ephesus that we read from, and it says this in chapter 5, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Children of darkness become children of light when the light of the glory of God shines around them and into them. And even when God judges, which is parts of the Bible people are scared of, he's light because in his judgment, he's banishing dark and evil stuff. We can even praise him then. So the Lord is a beautiful pulsating light. Finally, though, God's glory in this passage is also as a man. Let the New Testament put it another way. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 it says this, The Son, S-O-N, of God is the radiance of God's glory. In that context it means God the Father's glory. He's just shining out and it comes most clearly in the form of his Son, Jesus Christ. The Father's light is Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, the man, is the weight of the glory of God. And the Father just shares his son with us. I don't share my sons with anyone, um, especially at the moment because we're on lockdown. He does, the Father does, um, and his sons are better than mine. His son is better than my son, sorry. I don't even let mine out in the cold in case they get a snivel. The Lord Father sent his son into the most hostile territory of darkness that ever existed. He came to his own and his own didn't even receive him. They didn't want him. In fact, we crucified him. Jesus didn't self-isolate. He went into a planet with far more dangers than the COVID-19 virus. Not that the COVID-19 isn't outside of the work of Jesus that he's going to heal up soon, once and for all, by the way. So is the father a glorious big head who we need to keep off our back? No, he's a sharer and he's a giver. His inner being, his weight is a servant-hearted, glorious being who is willing to send his son to die, to shed light. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Someone once said to me, the more I learn of human nature, the more I love my dog. All right, I get it, but we should say the more we learn of human nature, the more we love Jesus, because he's better than us. He displayed what human nature truly is meant to be.
that's glorious. He was sinless and he was and is light. Um, Jesus is the light. Let me apply this to everyday life then for the Monday lockdown. He wasn't morally above, like in a priggish sixth form prefect way, above people. What you read with Jesus is his glory, sinners loved to be around him and just flocked closer to him. He didn't flaunt it like you can't get involved with this glory. That's not what true human nature is about. True human nature is living life with church family to the full and welcoming lost sinners in. We should be like that this week. That's glorious. That should grip us. Uh, rescuing people who are frightened stiff of eternity and the COVID virus. Um, what you find in the life of Jesus is girls, people's daughters were safe around him. People's sons were safe around him. If he had a mobile phone, he wouldn't be sending CD sinful um, or short-tempered texts at this time of year. If you gave him a job, he did it properly. Um, and his standards wouldn't slip over time. If he had a building, he would look after it, a home, a garden. During these times, maybe we could be looking after them. If he was in lockdown, he wouldn't get snappy because proper glory is divinity shining through humanity. That's what the church is called for. He was one solid block of purity. And we all need a vision like that uh, this week. Isaiah says in chapter 53, that same vision, that same Lord that shook him. He has this vision, doesn't he? And he said that light stepped into darkness and was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, that glorious son of God joined us in our humanity in our plight and aligned ourselves with us to take on sin and death. He is a champion hero that came and joined us. So when you read he was numbered with the transgressions, think of um, ISIS bombers. Think of VD patients. Think of internet scammers. Think of porn addicts. Think of unfaithful husbands or domestic abusers, the people that we just cast out. There's no hope for them ever. Jesus is like, no, I came to align myself as one of those and I will take that upon me on the cross and deliver them from it. Let them come to me and trust me with that. I can liberate people from darkness. I am the glorious Lord. I'll handle your week this week. So we look at him we see he turned water into wine in John chapter 2. That's glorious. He cried when his friends died because he cared about death and decay. He raised people from the dead because he can't stand death, sin and decay. Um, and John chapter 16 says his Holy Spirit literally makes that glory known now in the life of the church. Now, I want to close with a deeply important lesson in this unsteady time. To taste this glory, to get to the Father, you need to come through the Son. He's the only way. That's what the text says. But the ancient church learned, um, part and parcel with that, that to get glory, we often have to be shaken. To get maximum glory, he will lead us through shake, shaky paths, earthquakes, 
even with Jesus. Now, let me just sort of sum this up. Uh, Robert Germain Thomas in the 1860s, he was a missionary to North Korea and he was murdered and he was handing Bibles to his murderers as they, the security guards, as they were about to shoot him for being a Christian. Um, they beat him to death, actually, didn't they? But they actually took the Bibles home and they used the pages as wallpaper and then they started reading it and then they started learning about Jesus and becoming Christians. But it was an earthquake for Robert Germain Thomas for that glory to shine out. In 1940s in Korea, um, with communism, it destroyed the church and people's Christians started trickling south from the north, from um, Pyongyang. Sorry about the announcement. Some were tortured and they headed south and then they were kicked out, a load of the missionaries and Christians, uh, when the communist invasion hit the south. And the Christians there came to see there is no lasting glory or securities outside of Jesus. And you'd think that torture and chasing would like stamp out the church and they'd be frightened for their lives. If you go there now, they hold prayer meetings at 5 a.m. and there's thousands of them gathering, all shouting out praise to Jesus. Um, and my friend recently went there, 5 a.m. and the pastor was asked to preach for a whole hour, um, but not much longer because they have to get to work at half past eight. The church is thriving. 3,000 people in at one prayer meeting. Um, remember, though, a terrible earthquake brought that glory about. It's the same with the church. It's the same with Jesus. Trust him now. Trust the Lord that he can work glory in this. And I say that about Jesus because John chapter 12, he says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So here we have the glorious man saying something's about to happen now which is even more glorious. And then he says this, it's where a grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die um, in order to rise again and produce much fruit. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says it's where he went to offer himself up in the spirit to the place of death. It was a place called um, the skull, the dark place, and it was outside of the city where the temple and the light was. And because lost things roamed out there and he joined them out there. And it's here at the crucifixion of Jesus um, where we most clearly see the glory of God revealed, where Christians sing, where Jesus was slain for me at Calvary where our darkness as a church was put on him and he died and took that on him and was judged for us. Uh, my friend once wrote this, um, his sufferings, especially in the three hours of darkness on the cross, he plumbed the depths of human anguish and misery of physical, emotional and spiritual distress and pain, the like of which are only known and experienced in hell. Only darkness surrounded this light. Yet for him, since he was altogether without sin, the misery and suffering was necessarily greater than that of damned human beings. He drank the very dregs of the bitter cup of divine wrath upon sin. We touch here 
upon the most profound reality that can ever be considered. And while much will remain mysterious uh, for us, not only on earth, but even in heaven, we can sing with profound gratitude, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. This week, perhaps remember most preciously the time where the divine shaker of Isaiah faced the most severe shaking of all before entering full glory where he is now, where he promises his church is going to. And it's going to be a bumpy ride along the way, but he is ushering in the new world with no viruses, sin, death and decay. Jesus learned to trust his father's will, even in the rough times, because it's glorious. And the church is called to do the same thing too. Now, Jesus is the unshakable man reigning forever. That was way too long. But children, I want to see your drawings now of the glorious son of God. I'm now going to invite us to close in prayer and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And there are so many versions bouncing around today. I'm going to read the one from the PCW prayer book. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, next up, immediately after this, is the Park End group singing praises to Jesus. Do tune in, and I'll see you back here at 9 o'clock tonight for Genesis and beyond.